Hello, and welcome to StratHack, a new podcast series that aims to dig deep into the art of strategy and decision-making, hosted by me, Sarah Holland, and me, Amelia Tarode. We're the two founders of the Thornbreak Collective, an award-winning brand consultancy based in London, but working all over the world. In each episode, we lift the lid on a company or individual who inspires us, talking with them about the decisions they've made and the strategic process they've gone through to achieve success. Then we identify and highlight the key brand lessons and marketing learnings which we believe will be applicable to businesses anywhere. Before asking ourselves and you the really tough question, so what are we now going to do differently? In today's episode, we're talking urban gardening and the importance of human connection with plants for our physical and mental health with founder of Patch, Freddie Blackett. And we will also cover why we all need a big Ken in our lives, which will not make much sense now, but we promise by the end of the episode, it will. Welcome to StratHack. On this episode, we are joined by Freddie Blackett, CEO and founder of Patch Plants, the UK's leading digital brand for urban gardeners. Launched in 2015, Patch is built on the beliefs that reconnecting with nature is fundamental to the sustainability of urban living and that a life lived with plants is a more calm, bright and healthy one. Patch is on a mission to green up city life by helping you choose the right plants for your space, delivering every plant quickly and with care and providing expert advice on how to look after them. Cited by numerous publications as a 2020 startup to watch, Patch has been successfully fundraising and is, bad pun intended, moving from green shoots to healthy, growing business. Away from work, Freddie lives in leafy southwest London with his wife, two children, and what we can only imagine must be about 100 plants. Freddie, welcome. Thank you for coming to StratHack with us today. Thank you very much, Sarah. Nice to meet you. So, Freddie, we're going to start off um, talking about a question that we often ask entrepreneurs, and that is um, the ability to find a gap in the market, uh, but also a market in the gap. So we'd love to hear a little bit more about what was the inspiration for Patch um, and how how did the business start? Yeah, sure. So um, I suppose it probably helps for me to tell you a little bit more about my background, because I think without it, I don't think I would have identified that gap in the market. And then maybe as well that market in the gap. So I came out of university with, like many people, totally unpractical set of skills and uh, and experience, and went into an industry called branding or brand consulting, uh, which I highly recommend to anyone who's kind of interested in exploring uh, an initial career opportunity because it's it's very broad. Uh, you get to use lots of creative skills, but also lots of analytical skills. And as you're in consulting, you get to work with a whole range of of different clients. And, uh, and so you, you get a bit of a, an insight into high-level strategy and understanding um, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats to a company, for example, and, uh, and what makes up a, a strong company and more specifically a strong brand. And I did that for about five or six years, loved it, really enjoyed it, would be very happy in that career, not quite as happy as I am now um, uh, if I hadn't started Patch. But, um, but it really gave me that kind of bedrock of skills for... I think for identifying opportunities in in a market, and then it it came to me. The idea for Patch came to me when I moved in with with Clemmy, who's uh, who's now my wife and the mother of my kids, as you mentioned. Um, when I moved into her her flat, so I, I don't know if you've had this experience before, any of your listeners have, but moving into someone else's home is very different to moving into a blank canvas together. You know, where you can set up a Pinterest board or a set of Pinterest boards and you can kind of 
co-create the inspiration for what your home might look like together. Instead, you're kind of finding, you know, square inches of space which uh, which haven't yet been done up, and then trying to persuade the the person who's made this this turn this what house into a home, uh, and you know, try to persuade them that uh, that you know I might be able to put my little stamp there. So I didn't really have that much success. You know, I, I think I tried to hang up a Johnny Wilkinson poster, and that you know got got. <laughs> got removed pretty quickly and but then there was this little slither of a balcony hanging off our off our kitchen and and, you know I I think I could probably say that gardening was my first job I I watered my next door neighbor's plants when I was about 11 years older and they were on holiday in Canada but I you know my success rate was about 30 percent I think they were pretty reluctant to pay me what I was owed when they got back from their holiday but you know I I, broadly speaking I had very little experience with plants I I had no idea where to start I thought this is probably pretty simple I'll just go on online and find something and it'll turn up by the end of the weekend but it really turned into a uh, a real mess of an affair I mean I, I went to my local garden center which had shut down I then managed to to get an uber to a uh, one of those DIY uh, companies that you, you'll you'll know uh, and found that you know their range wasn't wasn't particularly inspiring there was nothing really that was exciting to me or really useful to me I mean I, I could barely understand what was going on in this in this uh in this kind of plant hall of theirs and when I did manage to find something and get get at home you know, those plants were just like immediately declining in health because they were totally inappro- inappropriate for what was an east-facing brick-built balcony and so I came out of the whole experience oh I suppose I went into it you could put your brown consulting hat back on you know went into the customer experience full of enthusiasm and excitement for greening up my space for putting my stamp on somewhere for moving into this new stage of my life which was less about spending all of my disposable income on a Friday or Saturday night and more on on turn you know making making a home out of something and uh, and really investing in in something that I was proud of and coming out the other end of it just full of you know personal guilt you know shame questioning I remember speaking to one of our very first customers that we did some um uh we did some insight work at the beginning of patch with and, and she said you know if i can't look after plants how am i meant to look after any kids <laughs> and you know all of these feelings and realized wow that is a real turn of events for a customer experience and uh and thought well there's got to be something here really isn't there i mean this is a big market when you look when you step back because you know, gardening is a you know quite a british hobby i think it is maybe more sharply british than it is many other countries in in europe but um but you know, it is a it is a real intergenerational hobby, uh, typically for hundreds of years, and and yet I I felt it had kind of just fallen short of of bringing the next generation in, um, and actually felt quite exclusionary, quite you know quite um, standoffish to a, to the next generation. And thought, well, there's two great opportunities here. There's one great opportunity for e-commerce, uh, which you know back in 2015 was was still quite early early days and it's in its penetration of consumer markets and then also there's a really good opportunity for a brand and uh you know i could probably i could probably go on for hours to talk to you about the about where i think there is a great opportunity for brand in this market but but i thought that those two things were things that you know i felt were relevant to my skill set and um and i thought well there's there's something here that i could probably play a part in solving i love that story god there's so much in there i love i love the insight about the guilt and the shame. And as a person, I just, I mean, I, sometimes I say that I've got like the opposite of green fingers. I've got like black fingers. I'd buy things and then they just die. And I mean, luckily my children haven't died yet. So maybe, um, maybe there's not a direct correlation, but I, I, I think, I think what you've 
done is a typical kind of brand strategy thing, which is you've, you know, the, the guilt and the shit, you've kind of pulled out the insight. And then also the business opportunity, which is that next generation of gardeners coming. And I do think it it is a weirdly exclusive world, even just the fact that everything's in Latin, hmm. you know, the, yeah. the names of plants. And I know we'll come back to that. So I think the sort of the strategic foundation of, you know, what's the insight, what's the opportunity overlaying the emotion, it, I mean, is... I mean, it's it's a spot on. It's a, it's an amazing case study. So so you had this idea. You you know you worried that your future children would 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 obviously not thrive because you can't get plants to grow on an east facing balcony. But so you had that idea, and and you were obviously you were still working at the time, or you gave up your job and you kind of said, "Ali, hallelujah, I'm going to do this." Or you know, what well, where did you get the money from? I mean, what what what? What came first, the the idea, the funding? That how how did, how did it actually start then? Yes, so obviously the the observation came first. So identifying that this problem existed, I then um, I then just spent more time thinking about it. So either with Clemmy or uh, my wife, that is, um, or with friends and trying to you know understand whether they had a similar problem. And you know more and more I was speaking about it with people. There more and more I was hearing oh, that's such an obvious idea, surely, or someone has already done it. And when you hear things like that, you actually get quite stressed out because um, you're like, wow, th- th- there's a bit of a ticking time bomb here. So I, I was in a bit of a hurry and uh, and I was, you know, I, I suppose being in the career I was in, I was, uh, and, and being in a really supportive company, I, I was afforded a lot of opportunity, a lot of time, and a lot of advice, you know, speaking to my old boss, a guy called Manfred Abraham, who runs a business called Yonder or Brandcap as it was known back then, you know, he was incredibly supportive of me, gave me lots of time. And uh, when I was sharing with him, look, I think I want to go and do this. And I, I was speaking to some investors at the time. Um, I think he, he checked, you know, he wanted to make sure that I was making the right decision as he should do, but he was very supportive once I'd made that decision. I, I also had this big life event coming up. I was getting married in, in August. So it was, it was not quite a now or never, but I was, you know, looking at at my life and thinking, okay, well, I can see what comes next here. So, you know, I, I, I've, I haven't got that much longer before financial responsibility really, really hits me. So now's a great time to do this. I, you know, it's it, that back then it was just a project. It was just really a, 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 an exploration. It was trying to understand whether there was a customer need. And I fortunately came across a set of investors, some guys called Forward Partners, um, who were perfect really for that, that aim. Um, you know, I came to them with a summary of the the problem, a, a one-page summary, basically, um, using a framework called the Lean Canvas. And uh, and the second page was a summary of, of the market and where I saw the big opportunity was financially, which is obviously what, what's, uh, what they're really interested in. And I said to them, look, I, I think I've got an idea of what this looks like. I, I'm, I'm very clear on what the vision is, but I, I lack a lot of really important skills to get this done. Um, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a brand strategist. I have very few practical skills, as as my wife will attest. I have good ideas, and I can bring people with me, but I also need to find the people who can get it done. So help me with that. And uh, and they were very good with that. You know, they I we, essentially we were incubated in their office for twelve months. Uh, we worked with their product team, so the guys who actually helped to build the website, um, helped me to speak to dozens and dozens of customers along the way, uh, helped me with my marketing strategy at the beginning, helped me find further further investment along the way. So um, so it was, in answer to your question, you know, it's 
observing the problem and then beginning to shape it, getting more and more conviction and then getting a big conviction leap, I think, by getting some investment and uh, and having the support of people around me professionally and personally to, to, to go, yeah, okay, let's, let's go and have a crack at this. When we talk to founders, they often talk about the moment, like the moment you know, you know that it's going to work. You know, not, not necessarily the moment where you know you've maybe got, you've got good market fit or you know you've kind of done proof of concept. That moment where you knew this is a viable commercial business this is what I'm going to do was there was there a moment was there a kind of was there a milestone you hit just what was that like in that kind of early days that you you knew that you were really onto something good question I don't I don't think there it's hard to remember that because it is such a um you know people talk of it being a roller coaster I know that's probably overused but it it, it really is. And it's very, it's very hard to, to kind of stand still. So you might have these moments where you think, what a success and I've done it. But then um, the thing about it is that, you know, growth is, is really quite addictive. And, uh, and, you know, once you've got to a certain level, you go, well, you know, let's push for a little bit more. And yet, you know, we're, we, we're a team of people now, a team of over 50 people, and everyone wants more, you know, they want, they want to learn more, they want to develop more. And the more people you bring on, you know, the more you're committing to their development and, uh, and that next milestone, as you put it. So it's, it's, it's hard really to, to pin down on a couple. I think that the moments, though, which I, I look back on and, you know, I've got this, uh, I'll show it to you. I mean, when we're on Zoom now, but I've got this little box, essentially this little, my little patch box of memories. <laughs> and, you know, those are, those are, you know, those are things like, we, you know, our lemon tree was on the front page of the Times last year, and and but you know, big things like that, but also small things like these little hacky things we did along the way to try and solve. One of them was this this plant label uh, we solution we came up with, which basically solved three different problems. And it, it, you know, it's just one of those moments where it's just like, yes, we've you know, we've just nailed it, and we've just saved ourselves working on a Sunday. Uh, so it, tiny, you know, you know, no one is going to write that in any history book ever. But for us and for the team that were working on it at the time, that's, those are the moments that really matter. That's great. I guess it would kind of be both obvious and slightly remiss of us if we didn't talk about the um, the significant problem that you would have had as a business, as we all had as humans, that nobody could have predicted and would never have featured in in a SWOT any or any plan. kind of possible market analysis. Um, just kind of want to reflect on, I guess, what's now the last 18 months at the time that we're recording this. and. You know, I think when we were um, doing the research before this podcast, I think we read that The Guardian said that your sales had increased by almost 500% during kind of lockdown. Obviously, there was, um, you're dealing with staff and a team. You're dealing with kind of, you know, you as a leader are dealing with some kind of human impact. You're also dealing with a world that is suddenly in its own home and, and trying to kind of think about space differently. There's a lot of things sort of happening simultaneously um and now so i'd be really interested to kind of hear just some of that journey during that time and how quickly you kind of you had to adapt to what was i guess a much more pressing need you know you talk about your philosophy being around that importance of kind of sustainable living and urban living in particular and that real need for kind of green space and when that was taken away um just how you how you adapted and how you responded to that because there's something 
really quite almost unique about your business and what your approach was and kind of where that how you met that moment essentially be really interested to hear that narrative yeah and and one of the things you said in there actually made me reflect on on something that I don't think I have in in uh in in a while during this during the pandemic is is the fact that for so many people they were restricted from green space from nature for a very long time us generally you know we were all asked to stay at home for much longer and and reduce our our, our trips out and about but you know the the millions of people who were asked to shield as well and i think we were very we felt very responsible i think at the beginning of the pandemic to respond to what was a huge amount of demand for our um, our proposition and you know in the time since what march 2020 i think we probably quadrupled our customer numbers since then and i hope we've brought in a lot of people um into patch that might use us again but even if those people who don't use us again we've managed to bring some solace and uh and some nature inside where otherwise they might have felt a little less well where their homes would have been a little less green and a little less calm then uh, then we should feel very honored and very proud to have been given that opportunity it's uh yeah i mean at the beginning to that stat you 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 reference yes well we saw this almost overnight uh, spike in demand that you know you just could never have you know you would have been laughed out of the boardroom if you if you'd suggested something like that and uh, at the same time we were expanding our addressable market so we launched outside we've focused primarily in the last five years and uh, on London but uh, at the beginning of March last year we launched our operations outside London as well so delivering to people across Great Britain and uh, you know in the eye of the storm really uh, at that time so we uh we, we we had to respond very quickly it was it, it felt like an episode of 24 every day like you know jumping on problems uh i yeah i did assume the role of jack bauer occasionally in my mind uh, i'm not sure how helpful i was to my my team but but you know we we managed a, a fulfillment operation that was based in holland so we, we none of us have been there for 15 months it's, you know it's been incredibly difficult to manage that uh, but managing all of the complexity there, managing suppliers whose routes to market had just collapsed immediately, you know, just off the, off the face of the earth, their uh, growers and other suppliers had lost all of their routes to market in their busiest time of year, which is spring. Uh, and so trying to manage lots of supply and lots of demand, which feels like a perfect storm for us, and it was. And uh, and I think we did a really good job of, of capturing that. I, you know, in the time since, it's been... Uh, it has been, I think, by and large, positive for us, definitely. Um, but it has, it's been incredibly uh, tempestuous. It's been, um, it's been very choppy. And we've essentially been asking people to, asking our, our, our colleagues and the people we work with to, uh, you know, we told them it's going to be a 100 meter sprint. And then we say, actually, it's 200 meters. Actually, it's 400 meters. Actually, it's 800 meters. And actually, it's going to be 10K. And, you know, when you set off on one of those journeys, one of those races thinking that it's 100 meters then you you kind of have in mind how much energy you're going to have to expend and uh, we need to when it turns out to be you know 100 times that then it's um you're asking quite a lot of people so we've we've and i've spent a lot of my time in the last year trying to look after our team uh and trying to provide them with all of the support that they need to manage their their professional lives but also to give them support for everything else that's going on for them and I hope we've done as good a job as we possibly could have done in the circumstances. I think there's, um, just to reflect on a few of the things you just said there, there's there's a lot of conversation just now as you will be 
more than aware of those DTC brands who've kind of had that boom during COVID and what will the sustainable model, uh, you know, sustainable business models be that will survive. And what's really interesting to hear in your reflections is I think that's the first time I've certainly heard that almost for sort of philosophical and ethical stance on it and your reflection that actually that rather than the conversation be around those customers retention and kind of driving loyalty just your approach that actually if there are some customers who you helped during that time and who never come back to you that you're okay with that that's just you know just I guess (laughs) that's an amazing thing to hear it's really uh, refreshing and definitely feels like it's a reflection on a different model and a different sort of approach to to business that you you clearly represent I would echo that actually it's you're you're absolutely right I remember um reading so um kind of outside of our podcast lives one things we do is we run something called the IPA excellence diploma which is the big institute of practitioners in advertising and um one of the dissertation winning essays was um redefining growth and actually talking about different 21st century business models with more sustainable and ethical growth. And it, it, it completely right, Sarah, when Freddie was talking, I was thinking a lot, a lot about that. It's no, it's 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 really it's it's kind of fascinating to hear Freddie. And I, I kind of wonder, you know, Sarah and I've talked about this, which is, you know, coming out of COVID, actually are there going to be either new types of companies with a different mentality? Or, or actually, you know, businesses. So, you know, you're, you're, you know, five years old. So, not a startup, but certainly, you know, the beginning of a scale up. But it, but it really feels when listening to you talk that COVID probably hasn't changed how you think about your business, but maybe it's just accelerated. It's kind of really made you clearer and firmer on how you want to run a business. Which I agree, Sarah. I think it's it's really re- refreshing. <laughs> refreshing is is the right word. God willing, we'll never have to go through this again. So it, it is a you know, once in a generation, uh, once in a lifetime event, and there are no rule books for it. So I, I think we've all we've all chipped in. It was it's been a very flat um, hierarchy as a business. Obviously, everyone working from home. It's, you know, all of those typical office hierarchies just disappear in a in an event like that. We hope to have kind of um brought together a group of people who who live by the right set of values and and uh and i think we tried to try to live by those in the last 12 15 months but but you know equally we're a, we're a business right i don't i don't want to kind of overplay overplay that we've um you know we do do run by a set of values but um but we also have uh have a set of responsibilities to our shareholders and we've got to do our very best in the in the events that we've 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 been presented with so there are a load of trade-offs that we've made in the last year as well that uh, that we've had to had, that, that we've we've well, that we're that we're living by, you know. In the, what, what what kind of things, Freddie? What kind of trade-offs? Well, in the fifteen months, right? So, is it, well, God, I've lost track of it now. Eighteen months. <laughs> so, in the eighteen months since, you know, we've obviously had this other big event, which has been Brexit, and yeah. we run a, a, an operation out of fulfillment operation out of Holland, as I mentioned, and it has just not been that easy to run that operation. Uh, as uh, as it has been, well, as it would have been without COVID, because we would be there, we'd have a person on the ground there. Um, but also, Brexit has has had a material impact on on the industry uh, because of uh, some of the uh, requirements across the border in checking in checking products. 
very important requirements, you know, making sure that your, the plants that are sold in the UK, that are typically grown in the UK, almost all of them, are, are healthy and they're not carrying pests that are going to, you know, ruin crops and crops across the UK. So, but that's just much more difficult. So, uh, you know, spending a lot of time on, uh, on making that better or just even making it work rather than uh, maybe, I don't know, um, progressing a piece of digital products that we want to make, you know, uh, we'll probably talk about things like we have a, a super vans community that we're that we're building at the moment. That's that uh, you know I wish wish would have, we probably would have been live last September if it hadn't been for COVID. So there's you know there's just been I suppose more generally there's been uh, you know in, in in a world where you to your point earlier, Sarah, we've we've accelerated right. So when you accelerate when you are not prepared for it or where you're you know, a year away from thinking you're going to be at that level, then you're going to have to make some trade-offs to keep the lights on. And I hope we've made the right set of trade-offs uh, and I hope our customers agree with that. Oh, we, we certainly think so. One of the things, so we, we start off actually by talking about your background in brand. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, Sarah and I, obviously brands are, uh, I mean, it sounds like, you know we love brands we we think that again it you know brands into 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 culture into organizational design it's the anchor in troubled times to allow you to build a team and keep you focused in the right direction and, you know again so much more than just the logo and a look and feel that sometimes people go oh, branding you know that's the sort of the the sort of the coloring in bit and and i think one of the things the reasons why actually we use patch often as an example in the workshops that we do for our clients is that we think that you have an incredibly strong brand i think the the mission the philosophy the visual aesthetic is very clean it's very beautiful it's very modern so you know if, if listeners haven't been um it's it's patch plants is that right freddie.com yeah patchplants.com really it's really worth having a look at that because i think you know, i think both sarah and i think it's a really good example of um uh, of a of a great 21st century brand one of the things that we do we really really love about patch is the tone of voice often we have found that tone of voice is something that clients find very hard and can trip over their feet and um so um when you go in to the site uh you have brilliant quizzes kind of like tinder meets the royal horticultural society kind of find your perfect <laughs> plant pal uh, it was very funny kind of like a dating app and i think one of the questions and maybe this isn't like a dating app it was like do you regularly kill your plants and kind of you know that's me that's me do you need something that will live through anything and it was very funny it kind of made you laugh and then uh, when you you look at the names of the plants i think there's a a Chaz and an Ian and a Reggie. I mean, they're just, it's funny. There's no long, complicated names. And any advice that you would have to listeners around how you found your, how you found the patch voice. And as you grow, you talk about 50 people, how you keep consistency in the patch voice as you get bigger. Mm, that is almost an essay question. I mean, <laughs> I'm so sorry. You're right. You can write a dissertation and Sarah and I will mark it <laughs> if, if we might give you a star. I'll submit it to the IPA. Yeah. Um, so we, when we started, we spent the, the first week, my colleague Fleur and I, Fleur, I mean. Good I, name. No, Perfect no jokes, name. Right? Yes. 
I, I, hired, I interviewed two people for my kind of first number two, and one was called Lily and the other one was called Fleur. I mean, what <laughs> uh, but brilliant Fleur. And um, she and I worked together on speaking to about 30, 35 people in our first week, just nonstop speaking to people uh, who were in and around our customer de- demographic. And, um, and we did this thing called the mum test with them, the mom test, M-O-M. Uh, which is a great little book. It's probably the most expensive book per word you'll ever find, mm. but it is incredibly valuable. And it's a great way of teaching you about how to speak to your users or customers. And it very specifically asks you to, uh, as the interviewer, to to think in terms of not what would you do, but what did you do and what did you not do? Because, you know, people are very good at telling, saying, yeah, I'd probably buy that. Um, when, you know, not really being asked when push comes to shove, would you, did you? Uh, you know, direct your spend to that thing over that thing. So asking people very specifically about what they did do or what they didn't do. And uh, and in our case, it was, you know, tell me about the last time you bought plants. And they would go, oh, well, I went to the garden centre. You go, no, 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 I wanted you to tell me every single step of the, the journey you went through. So what prompted it? Oh, well, I moved in, moved home, and uh, I bought my sofa. And then I realised that my next paycheck, I'll, I'll um, buy some plants. I, you know, shorten that for dramatic effect. But um, you know, you get a couple of insights there, right? It's not your first thing you, you spend money on, um, but uh, but it is clearly that kind of second or third tier of 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 you know interior spend for someone who's who's moving in. But but uh, you get in you you get so much detail from uh, from running the mum test on on users, but you also get a load of insight into how people speak about the category, and mm. uh, and so I think that was probably our first guiding light is a bit too grand, but our first bit of insight really into how people think and talk about plants in our in our kind of little sub-segment of the market that we're going after. And, uh, and so it all really came out of that. So it, it felt quite natural for the first couple of years. And, you know, my background was, you know, I, I loved, I love brand naming and, and copywriting. So I, you know, I, I did most of the copywriting at the beginning and then, uh, and then it's, it's, it's been quite natural, really, because I hired a head of marketing who, uh, who had previously worked with me um, at Interbrand. And, uh, and then subsequently, we've got a creative lead who worked with me at, at Brandcap. So we, we all kind of sing from the same hymn sheet, if you will. Um, and I think that definitely helps. And I, I think I would probably give that as some advice. I mean, it's, I, I get it is right to, you know, to work with people who have uh, different opinions and different perspectives on things but also if if you've got a very clear position and a clear clearly distinctive um strategy that you're going after you need people who believe in that really to be able to execute it do you have um like tone of voice guidelines yeah um yeah. you know or we never say this we sometimes say this we always say this you know how how, how do you help people as because I think, you know, you were the copywriter at the beginning it was your vision it was your voice but you're not copywriting anymore I'm guessing uh I, no i will occasionally call up people when i think that we haven't quite got the right tone mm. um but but no gen- generally no i'm not i'm not doing that much writing i'd love to be able to do some more writing but um i i think yes we do we have a brand book we have you know how to be patch how to talk patch uh and that is very detailed and it gives very good examples of you know of you know what is great what's good and what's not so good um, and it's in a really lovely, very readable format uh, for anyone who's either works with the business, so any of our partners or anyone who works internally with us. 
um, who uh, who wants to you know who wants I don't know uh, post something on Instagram or uh, or work with a charity partner that we might work with I don't, I don't know there's lots of examples why it might be useful but you know I, I this might be a little bit simplistic I, I I do think it comes down to how distinctive how clear the the fundamental positioning of the brand is in the markets I, I think in our case we have tried to and I think as objectively as I can, I think we've been pretty successful to date on on building out and having a strong perception for what is, I think, quite a clear position in the market. You know, we are for the 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 new to garden, new to gardening slash the kind of intermediates to gardening. Uh, and, you know, the position that we take, Sarah, to your point around naming our plants, that is it is very, very popular with a certain group of people who buy plants. But it's not that popular for another group of people who buy plants. You know, they find it slightly infantile, and mm. uh, and actually, they they you know they like to develop knowledge. They like the the Latin naming formats, and it helps them to identify um, uh, one plant against another. And fair place to them. And you know, I'm sure we've you know I know because we've we've been having these conversations internally. You know how we evolve our brand to make sure that we are still relevant, still exciting to that original customer that we've, we've been uh, focused on and, and, um, and, uh, and I think appeal very well to, but also making sure that we can evolve to a, to a wider customer as, as we grow. But I think going back to the question, I think if your brand is strong, if you, if you, can, if you have a very clear positioning, and it's not something that is, you know, in the case of Patch, very kindly, Sarah, your, your introduction was, I thought, summarized what we do very well. But there are a number of different ways I think you can talk about patch mm. um, without, without kind of getting it wrong. And it doesn't have to be those kind of three words, those three or four words that kind of encapsulate the business. But I think just the idea that a brand captures in the mind of the consumer, or of the employee, of the prospective employee, do they get it? And do they get, therefore, how it's is expressed across all of the different formats and touch points. Uh, and I think, like I say, I think to date, and we, we, I'm sure we'll have challenges ahead with our brand, but today I think we've done that pretty well. No, so do we. Um, we are almost out of time, sadly. Sarah, shall I pass over to you for the sort of final question? I mean, I guess you've kind of, <laughs> you've segued <laughs> us into it. I think it'd be really good to hear from you what you see, what's next. You've established that actually, you know, you you've really tapped into this amazing this amazing moment of joy and emotion that you you're told come from plants further down the line once you've done the awful bit and it's dull and boring and once you put in the effort and then you get the good stuff you've kind of put that joy and all of that brilliant emotion from sort of minute one how are you going to kind of how are you going to scale that with that audience because you've identified yourself you've got some big macro challenges coming out of covid brexit you know you've taken the brand uk wide you've identified that actually it's not for everyone but you know who you're for how are you going to bring all of those kind of component lessons and learnings and kind of almost those those different roads <laughs> into the roadmap together so you've got that clear kind of sense of direction and scale i guess kind of just what's next for pat well i wish i could tell you uh... <laughs> There are, there, you know, there are lot, lots of lots of plans that we have. I'm trying to think about how I might tell you in a way which gives you an, a good answer without um, giving away the secret sauce. Our marketing strategy, our brand strategy is that, you know, when people are in the market for plants, they think of Patch. Um, it is unlikely that 
you know, if I pepper someone enough with uh, plants, plant messaging, plant marketing on a, on a given day, that it's going to persuade them right there and then that they need plants in their home. But if I can, uh, you know, if I can provide you with some, you know, a little moment in your day, which makes you smile and which makes you remember our name and which makes you remember what we stand for, then when that time comes, when either you, you want to put a beautiful Chaz in the corner of your room or Big Ken, uh, <laughs> who I'd probably recommend because he's, he's, he's a real good egg, uh, <laughs> then, then, um, then you might come back to us. And, you know, what we are trying to do is, um, is persuade more and more people of, of our value by, I'm sorry, this is, this is really now a very high level because I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to not tell you what we're, what we've got, what we've got in our plans. <laughs> but um, we, if we can, if we can do that as, you know, as well as possible across a number of different categories and across a number of different channels, then, uh, then that's really what our aim is. I think, I, I think there's real value in specialism. Um, I think is one thing I'd say, like, um, lots of businesses are right to uh, to scale into new geographies and to scale into new categories. We think we it is valuable for us to be uh, specialising in what we're very good at, which is uh, inspiring people who are new to plants and uh, early in their uh, in their gardening journeys uh, to uh, to new products, new plants, uh, and um, and be that indoors or out. We think we've got a pretty good uh, good way of, of solving that for them. And, and you'll see from us in the next year or so that, uh, that we'll get even better at that. So I think in short, Sarah, I think, you know, we, we believe in what we do. And uh, certainly that the market has changed um, beyond recognition in the last 12 to 18 months. But we believe in what we do even more, actually, um, coming out of it. Uh, but clearly that we're still in the state of flux we don't know how much people are going to go back to work we don't know um to what extent they're going to live in the city as much as they did previously and that will be a very slow shift but could be in my view one of the biggest impacts that we see coming out of covid is is people's relationship with the city so we um we we, we still believe that that will play a very very important role in uh, in, in our customers lives um, even if uh, even if we see that that relationship change, I feel like we could talk all day, don't you? I'm like I'm just looking. I'm, we we do we record these on Zoom, and we can see each other. I can just see Sarah's face. I'm like Sarah. There's so much to talk about here. So much to talk about, and and um, uh, appreciate you sharing as much as you could on that kind of that future journey. We will definitely be paying attention. Um, Freddie, from both of us and everyone who's listening, thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing your journey so far. We can't wait to see what's next. Thank you. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thanks very much for having me. So, Amelia, apart from your uh, your revelation and confession that you, in fact, have black fingers of death, I'm so, so ashamed. ashamed. I'm so ashamed. Green fingers of plant-related joy. Um, what are your reflections on that? What What was kind of jumping out for you? Well, apart from the fact that I loved him and I thought his business is phenomenal, and and I was like, I couldn't. I wanted him to tell us the secret. It's like, what's going to happen? What is it? What's it going to be? Uh, but he was very good, wasn't he? he? Didn't he? Didn't let it. And even afterwards, he didn't tell us. He'd been well um, briefed. Well he briefed. has been well briefed. So well <laughs> done, Freddie. Um, Oh my God, there was so much. I think it's a proper case study in the making and I really hope it becomes an absolutely phenomenal 
unicorn, big Ken, whatever the unicorn equivalent <laughs> plants, uh, because he deserves it. He's a really good guy who's working really hard to try and do something that he really believes in. So that's my first one. I guess the, the real takeout for me was um, I think that so often we meet uh, scale-up businesses, of which I would say Patch is a scale-up, mm-hmm. um, who have exhausted all their kind of routes to market, pun intended, routes to market. <laughs> anyway, um, and it's growth, 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 growth. Oops, we forgot a brand. Yeah. And I think it's so refreshing to talk to a business person who also began their career in brand. And it is impossible to separate the brand from the business. And it reminds me of, you know, back in the day, you know, companies like Innocent. Yes. And um, I think that, I mean, I would say that, wouldn't I? Because we believe, you know, we both love brands and, and what they do to businesses. But I just think, I think he started with a proper insight. And I think it's an insight around actually it's gardening is quite exclusionary and to people who don't know it can feel difficult and there's a lot of guilt and shame if you get it wrong and the strange latin words and what type of clay do you have and Mm. is it east facing or west all that kind of stuff it's really hard and I think that um he started with a proper insight and he has such an understanding of his audience that he's just built something that feels so authentic and and you know goodness I I definitely need a big Ken in my life <laughs> you and me both and I think I guess my kind of first key takeout was I touched on it actually um when we were talking with Freddie and I guess reflecting on it it's sort of all the more apparent to me that there's we speak about this a lot, don't we? And there's a lot of kind of chatter about this at the moment as to those D2C businesses that have kind of have really boomed during COVID and post-COVID world and 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 what will things look like. And it feels like there's those, there's a kind of there's a group who would have been a more convenient option for people during COVID. So they would have been a more convenient alternative to the thing that you were no longer able to do. So we did something online because we couldn't do it in person. We bought something slightly more direct because we couldn't go and purchase it in the way that we normally had. Thinking about, you know, and certainly when we've had this discussion on, on previous episodes around the high street, for example. But it feels like what's really interesting about Patch and will hopefully be a key part of the story of its success as it goes on to be a whatever the plant equivalent of a unicorn is. <laughs> It feels like this actually patches the more convenient solution to your point about the insight that he had as to kind of, you know, the story that he told about going and being, you know, not really understanding. Nobody was there to sort of help. It just felt very alien and not easy. There were so many barriers. It feels like if there's that camp of kind of brands who've boomed during this time who were the temporary more convenient solution patch feels like a long-term more convenient solution that feels stickier it feels like that combined with that original insight and that sort of relentless investment in brand and tone and consistency and all of that effort it feels like they will be one of those brands that sticks around and actually continues to grow and for me it just feels like, I think you're right, the sort of case study in the making, it feels like it's really in that camp. And it's kind of, 
I don't know, it's given me a bit of a sort of fresh insight into how certainly we in in our day jobs and kind of some of the conversations we've been involved in have been trying to kind of unpack what that lasting sort of legacy in terms of brand and shift and consumer behaviour is going to feel like after COVID. No, I think that's right. Um, I, I think the other thing that really struck me was how you can take like categories that are ripe for innovation yeah you know house plants yeah you know how boring is that you know your aunt has a house plant or you know it's not a sexy category um and and actually pre-patch you know there's no interest to it and what I think is great is the lesson that anything with sharp imagination and insight can be turned into something that fizzes. And suddenly there's fizz and personality and the he t- talks about um, plant parents. And again, you know, finding your plant baby. Um, and, yeah, the one you know, that fits for, you. Yeah, that's right. And fits you and your lifestyle. And, yeah. you know, for a generation, you know, maybe pre-family or if you've chosen not to have families, this idea that actually... Um, a plant is something that you nurture and love and you watch it grow and you watch it develop. That's blooming. That's brilliant. That's so, and it's such, it's so funny and it's so true and nobody else had done it. So, you know, absolute fair play. I think you're right. I think it's also the, um, just hearing you talk about it, actually, some of the conversations we sometimes have about brands like Method. You know, we talk about the, the sort of delayed gratification that there used to be in some categories. So we touched on it a little bit in the conversation we just had with Freddie. That sort of idea that the the payoff and the joy that you get from plants, for example, comes later. So there's no joy in the sort of experience. It's quite functional. The joy that you get is when it grows or it stays alive or that's when you get to enjoy it. Or not in your case. Yes, um, your <laughs> that's when you get the joy. Likewise, you know, there's no, there was no joy in cleaning products before, for example. That it, there were a means to an end. And actually, what what they've done, and certainly what he, him and his team have done with Patch, is actually put the joy right from the beginning. You know, as much as we sort of we touched on the the names, the experience, the quiz, all of that, it could be so functional. You could have orientated the brand around still been around kind of millennials with small balcony space need plants it's all about uh, like air purification or anti-electrics or like uh, you know like so much other kind of options and language could have been brought in but it just feels like actually going no do you know what it's just joy but this whole experience from from start to finish from a consumer perspective is is really joyful and really fun and as you say, it's another great example of it's not it's not the obvious place to orient a brand in this category, but they've done it with a kind of such wit. Actually, it's not even humour; yes. it's wit. Yeah, it's it is clever. It's it intelligent. Is, yeah, um, yeah, and I, I I totally agree. I kind of I love that. I think the other thing for me, kind of counter to that, is my second kind of key takeout is actually therefore knowing all of that being incredibly clear, which we don't often hear, it really clear about who their customer isn't. 
there's a lot again yes that was right absolutely yeah you know really clear there's a lot the that big we ken see. haters people who hate big ken <laughs> i mean I if you hate big ken you hate you yourself. are not our people that's yeah, right you hate yourself <laughs> if you hate big ken i mean where's your joy but you know again sort of touching on your point about that kind of scale up narrative of um super clear and so much clarity about who your customer is but we don't often have that many conversations with brands in that space as to who the customer isn't and there's a very clear that's fine if you want to learn the latin names if you want to go deeper if you want to kind of dive in no problem we're just not for you and i loved that kind of that clarity and and kind of yeah just a bit of a brave stance actually which I'm sure in in moments, certainly over the last couple of years even, and not just COVID, Brexit and everything else that they've been dealing with as a business, it's quite difficult to stick to that. It's quite difficult to stick to it and not kind of take that distribution that's not right or take that point for any kind of brand in that space. And just staying true to that, I thought was, um, I thought was another great lesson, to be honest. No, I agree. And I, I think probably to wrap up, I liked your comparison to method. And I think, I think it's a really, I think it's a really good comparison because I think what you were saying is that that actually with really great marketing and imagination, um, any category has the potential to turn into something fabulous. So you know, again, your point about cleaning product is nothing inherently exciting or sexy or beautiful about cleaning products but method did it yeah um there's nothing in, in inherently exciting sexy about indoor house plants but freddie and the team at patch have created something and i do it, it's funny you talk about joy i think that's right but I, I think probably if i had to pick a word um it would probably be life mm. because you know it's these are living things and yes. you know they need care and they've got personalities and the brand has personality so I think it's a great. I'm so pleased that we got him on. I'm so pleased that he uh, he said yes. And I will. I I genuinely. Um, I don't have any houseplants because I I I am ashamed at how awful. And I I can't remember if I if I actually said out loud that you know thank God my children are still alive because I'm doing thank something you. right. I think but you may have done. My plants are definitely dead. But this is going to be my um, kind of my uh, next quarter resolution. We will check in and we'll see how the house plants are doing. Thank you for joining us today. You've been listening to StratHack with me, Sarah Holland. And me, Amelia Tarode, founders of the Fawnbreak Collective. To find out more, visit wearefawnbreak.com. And for more information about today's guest, everything we've discussed and how to get in touch with us about this podcast, please check out the notes that accompany this episode. <laughs>